our Bibles and return to Exodus, and let's go to Exodus 33. And I want to minister about finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace in the eyes of the Lord. Exodus 33, and I'll begin reading with verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet you've said, I know thee by name, and you've also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I found grace in your sight, show me now in the way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. Now let's get down to... Verse 18, and Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. Father, for the next few moments as we minister the word, I pray that you speak to all of our hearts. We have endeavored during this month to draw closer to you, looking into chapters 32 and 33. Wherever there's an idol or a golden calf in our hearts, we have prayed that you'd reveal it. Help us to draw closer to you through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These chapters have been interesting because the children of Israel built a statue. And then they took that statue and used it as an object around which to dance in a naked fashion and one that they used for worship. Hard to imagine that people would debase themselves to such degree, but that is what they did. Rather than waiting for Moses to come from the top of the mountain with a word from God and their impatience, they designed and crafted their own deity. Don't be alarmed by that. Many people do so today. They will tell you, well, my God is like this, or my God is like that. Most people want a God that doesn't convict them. Most people want a God that doesn't offend their sensibilities. Most people want a God that's very much like the golden calf was, had eyes but could not see, a mouth but unable to speak, had legs but are unable to move them in order to walk. And the average person in this world wants that kind of a God. They don't want a God that's going to walk into their world and disrupt their lifestyle. The children of Israel had so angered God because of their sin that the Lord had basically withdrawn his presence from them and told them of their iniquity. They wept and cried somewhat. But Moses, despite their stubbornness and their rebellion, Moses took a tent and he built that tent afar 
or a long ways from the, the children of Israel, and he worshiped God. And that teaches us that no matter what other people do, we must maintain our relationship with the king. If your own kinsmen, your brethren, your family, if they turn against God and go to worshiping self or worshiping other deities, you still should have a relationship with God despite their stubbornness. Moses teaches this. So God tells him at the beginning of chapter 33, just get on up, lead the people, I'll send my angel before you, but you need to know I'm not going with you. Now who is this angel and why is this angel significant? Well, if you were to turn back to Exodus 23, you can see in verse 20 what the Lord says about this angel. He says, I'll send my angel before you to keep you in the path to bring you to the place which I prepared. Beware of him. Obey his voice. Don't provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you shall indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I'll be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries, for my angels shall go before you and bring you into the Amorites and Hittites and Perizzites and Canaanites and Hivites and Jebusites, and I'll cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do after their works. And so God told Moses, get busy and lead the people towards the promised land into these different regions with these different cultures. I'm sending my angel before you to fight for you, but I'm not going. That's the part that was heartbreaking to Moses. The idea that God would send an angel, but that he himself would not go. Of course, naturally, we would think if the angel of the Lord is there, then God is there. But in this context, you can see that's not the case. It would be like you taking a trip and you knew you had a long ways to go. And you wanted your mom or dad or both to go with you on this particular trip, but rather than the two of them going or either of them going, they sent a friend of yours that you didn't know very well. Of course, you wouldn't want to make a trip like that. There's something comforting about your protector being with you, about having God with you. And this is what the children of Israel are having to face here. So in verse number 12, Moses is pleading with the Lord, and he says, Now, you've told me to go, and you've said you know me, you have a relationship with me, and that, that I've found grace in your eyes. Now, what does it mean when he says the Lord knows him? Well, God knows you and God knows me. God knows us personally. God knows us inwardly. God knows every thought, every desire. He knows the motives of your heart. You may be able to fool me. I may be able to fool you, but we cannot fool God. You can act a certain way in your relationship with other people, but God sees exactly what is taking place. God knows if you really do believe in him or if you don't believe in him. He knows if you're mouthing words that say that you trust him, whether or not you really trust him in your heart. He knows things about you other people don't know. 
He lives with you. He understands you. Now, Tiffany and I have been married 24 years, and so that means we've been around each other long enough to where she knows my thoughts, my desires. She knows my opinions. She knows my values. And you could pull her aside and ask her on just about any subject you can think of, what does Daryl think about this? She could tell you. And you could pull me aside and ask me what she thinks about something, and I could tell you. Well, this is how it is with God. God knows exactly what you believe. He knows if you're being a chameleon in the presence of other people and around people you talk one way, but yet privately and personally in your heart you hold a different, different opinion. God knows. He knows you by name. Now Moses said, Lord, you, you say I found grace in your sight. Now what is grace? It's a form of favor. That's one way to describe it. I can give it to you this way. Justice is when you receive what you deserve. Mercy is when you are spared what you deserve. Grace is when you are given what you do not deserve. That's grace. And Moses is saying, Lord, you say I found grace in your sight, and we don't deserve your mercies and your compassions because we've been involved with this golden calf. Even though it wasn't me, I'm still collectively involved with these people because you called me to lead them. If I truly found grace in your sight, there's got to be a way for you to demonstrate this. So in verse 13, this is exactly what he says. Lord, show me your pathway. And that's important. I've seen the pathway of my kinsmen that have worshipped the golden calf that they built. I've seen that path. What's your path? All of us should pray a prayer similar to that. When you look around and think of the different roads and trails that people are traveling on. Why do you think they're traveling those roads? Why do you think a man is an atheist? Why do you think people so belittle the value of marriage today? Why do you think it is that, that some people don't think it to be stealing if, if, if they're taking money that they don't necessarily need? All of this comes out of of people traveling on their own path, and on their own path they have their own God. And Moses is saying, I have seen the path of my kinsmen. It led to a golden calf. But Lord, I need to know the pathway of holiness, righteousness, truth. When I was a kid, I wanted to be just like my older brothers, and I always thought they were right, no matter what was going on. Now, my older brothers were seven and nine years older than me, so, you know, quite naturally, by the time I hit the age of seven, they were already grown. My older brother, Rick, joined the Marine Corps, didn't even tell any of us he was joining the Marine Corps, lied to the recruiter and told the recruiter he was 17 or 18, and he was only 16 when he got to boot camp. I thought my brothers were wonderful. 
my oldest brother joined the, joined the army and 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 he was always one of these guys in our neighborhood that that people didn't want to bother and he knew how to stand up for himself and he definitely knew how to use his hands because in our neighborhood if you couldn't use your hands you definitely would have got bullied and hurt so they were my heroes so nobody bothered me because i had two crazy brothers one time in high school my older brothers had gotten to it with some boy. and They'd open up that third floor window and had the boy hanging out by his ankles from the window. That's how crazy they were. So when I got to homeroom that first day, my ninth grade year, and that lady is reading off the attendant, she read that name, Daryl Sutton. She said, Sutton, would you happen to be related to Anthony and Rick? I said, yeah, they're my older brother. She said, oh, yeah. I thought these boys were heroic. And as a kid, I wanted to be like them. But then I got older and realized that everybody's life is a product of decisions they make. Yeah. And when I got into high school and then went into the Marine Corps and then started measuring their life according to Scripture and looking at my life in light of the Scripture, I realized at that point that I didn't need to imitate or emulate them ever, you see. Lord, show me your path. What is God's path for you? What is God's path for your life? Because you can't form your own path. You can get on your own path and do whatever you want to do, and you can live in sin, you can live in rebellion, you can be as stubborn as you want to be, but you will never be happy. Father, show me your path. And then once he shows it to you, get on it. Get on it. doesn't take long at all. Show me the path, oh God. And if you start praying like that, the Lord will reveal to you things that you've never seen before because every human being has a life that hid in Christ, and they'll discover it when they come to know Christ. People live their whole lives and say, I've never known my purpose on planet Earth. Of course you haven't. You don't know God. You come to know God, come to know Jesus, get your face in the book, and then God begins to highlight passages of Scripture. He reveals your, your purpose in life. He shows you, I want you to pray for this person. I want you to give and support this. I want you to be involved with that. And once he does, he expects you to apply that knowledge now. Lord, show me the path, your path, that I can know you, because knowing you is the most important thing. You cannot get to know God walking in your own pathway. It has to be on God's road. Now Paul found that out when he was trying to go to Damascus, Syria to arrest some Christians. He was on his own path. He thought he knew God, but he didn't know God, but he came to meet Jesus on that road. And when he met Christ, then he really came to know God. And that knowledge comes as we walk with the king. Here is the book, and the book is, is, is very clear. God knows me by name, Moses says, but now Moses says, I want to know you. Paul says, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. That means we spend a lifetime trying to get to know God. How well do you know God? What do you know about God? If somebody even asks you about your God, 
Could you even describe them? Could you explain them? Do you understand his character? Have you spent enough time with the people in your house that you understand their character and you know their attributes? If you've been with God in the book, then you can tell, tell people when they say to you, well, I'm just not sure that, you know, God's going to save my uncle or God's interested in saving this or that person from their sins, then you can say to them, I know from the book it says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And on the basis of that, you can contradict that statement because you know God. You know him. Don't let people form opinions in your mind about God that are untrue just because they try to rationalize things. I've had people say things like this to me. Well, you know, when... The last apostle died, then God stopped doing supernatural things, and so now it's just our lot in life, you know, to, to just live impoverished or uh, to be infirmed or to, to never be happy. God just doesn't want everybody to be happy. But if you know the book, you don't have to believe that at all because you know your God. Daniel said, those that know their God will be strong and do exploits. That means demonstrated. Again, show me your way that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. I know that in the eyes of God, every day of my life, I receive from him things I do not deserve. And it will be that way tomorrow. There's nothing I can do. No amount of good deeds that I could do that would ever curry enough favor from God for him to please me. His pleasure in me has to do with my relationship with his son that died on the cross for my sin. That life, that body was broken. And because it was broken and I identified with him and I believe in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have every expectation that I can walk with him and receive what I don't deserve. We've all been beneficiaries of God's grace. You've received job promotions that you may or may not have deserved, gifts from people that you may or may not have deserved. I know God has blessed you in ways you don't deserve because even when we've exhibited sin and we've rebelled against God, and walked away from God in our hearts sometimes, even though our bodies have been still sitting in a pew. God still has been gracious to our families and to us individually, you see. Now, you'll, you'll notice here then that Moses is quoting the Lord when he says, My presence will go with you and I'll give you rest now, the rest he's talking about is rest from his enemies because in Joshua chapter 21 and in 22, the Lord tells Moses that I'm going to bring you into a place where all of your enemies will be defeated and you'll have rest from them. Now, all of us want to experience something like that where, you know, we don't have to just do the whole spiritual warfare battle all the time. I mean, I know we have to resist the devil every day, but there's some battles we'd love to have to be done with and never have to fight again. I think every man, every woman on planet Earth would love to be able to get beyond that battle with the lust of the flesh. Yeah. I think a whole lot of people in, in uh, 
in, in the body of Christ who've really come to know the Lord, who whose bodies yet still crave and fiend because of past addictions, even present uh, struggles with drugs and things like that. They, they long for the day where they won't be sitting around dreaming about an alcohol bottle. You understand? Yeah. But do you realize there is a power in God that's strong enough to make make it so that that battle is dealt with? Yeah. There are a lot of people that have been delivered from this or from that. But it all comes down to the presence and the power of God. I'm sure the alcohol, unanimous or anonymous and all of that stuff has helped a whole lot of people. But I can tell you, being on your knees in an altar is just is powerful, if not more powerful. When a person fully throws their hands up and surrenders to God and says, Lord, I am at wit's end. I cannot fix myself. This is a dead end, oh God, and I need you. And you find out the Lord can come in and powerful, just like that. Do in a moment what 32 sessions can't do. Yeah. Won't cost you a dime either. There are plenty of people who've gone to see different psychotherapists and doctors to try to get them to do what only the presence of God is capable of doing. I, I've wondered before, what would what would it be like if I went and visited a, a psychologist and I started telling them about the voices I hear from another world? Because I know I've heard things they've never heard before. I start telling them I've had dreams and visions of the Lord. And, and, and I tell them, I, I, one time I believe God spoke to my heart and told me to do this. And the Lord told me to do that. And I did that. And his, this is what happened. I'm sure after I was done with that psychologist, they'd look at me and say, I know I've got a crazy man on this couch. Yeah. They'd probably have a nervous breakdown. Listening to me tell stories of how good the king has been. But I do want you to understand that the presence of God brings the fullness of joy. The presence of God is able to heal and bless you in ways that other agents can't do that. Find some good worship music. Put it on in your house. Put it on in your car. Watch how everything changes. And by worship music, I mean music that exalts Jesus Christ and encourages you and inspires you to want to lift your hands and praise unto God and glorify him, you'll find that God can heal you of a root of bitterness in less time than it has taken me to tell you to put the music on. How powerful it is. But then you can see in verse 15, Moses said, if your presence isn't with me, don't take us up out of here. Moses is saying, I don't want to be without God's presence. We should all be that way. I don't want to live without the presence of God. But there are plenty of people who do, and plenty of people are not interested in it. Sometimes Christians wonder why Sinners don't go to church or have an interest in going to church, or people living in sin don't want to go to church, and it's like pulling teeth to try to get them to come to church. But there's a verse in the Psalms that says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the righteous? But he that has clean hands and a pure heart. All of us know we're imperfect. All of us know 
we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But yet all of us know there's a standard that God calls us to, to have an excellent spirit, to walk with him. Be ye perfect as I am perfect, as the Bible says. But yet with that, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus says he's in the midst of us. So Jesus is perfect. Jesus is flawless. Jesus has no weaknesses or problems at all in himself. And when he's in the midst of us, whether it's in the middle of worship or in the proclamation of the word of God, everything in us that is ungodly has the lights that are shining on it because of the power of the word of God. And this is why people oftentimes don't want to come to church when they don't live for God. Because they understand I don't like this feeling. What is it? Feeling of conviction from God. From the devil, it's a feeling of condemnation. And the only way I can avoid this feeling then is I have to avoid his presence. And if I can stay out of his presence, I won't feel bad about who I am and what I'm doing. This is why Moses said, Lord, I don't want to leave the children of Israel without your presence. I can't do this without you. It's impossible. I wouldn't want to do church without God's presence. The convicting power of God can change and transform people. And one person after another has come to know God and gotten their heart right, not because of you arguing with them or me debating with them, but because of the presence of God. Yeah. Through the years, there have been a lot of people that I've knelt down with up here in these altars or back here behind the pulpit and watched as the convicting power of God was on them and they confessed Christ as their Savior. I don't know how many times we've done that. And then even coming down here to the church when people have called me in the community and just wanted to meet with me privately. I've knelt with them here. They wanted to give their hearts to God. They did. But you know, after you pray and get up and you start walking with the king, you still have to do everything you can to stay on that path he shows you and not get on your own path. It's easy to do that too. Yeah, easy to make a decision that distracts you from what God wants to do. So Moses then says, Lord, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go up. And you can see in verse 17 where God answers Moses basically and says, I'll answer your prayer. You found grace in my eyes. So Moses continues the prayer by saying, Lord, show me your glory. Now, glory isn't easy to define. Sometimes in the Bible, it's a physical, foggy-like, cloud-like substance that manifests over the tabernacle and over the people. Sometimes when we think of glory, we, we think of the honor and the esteem that we should give to God when we say, glorify the Lord. But what Moses wants to see is an aspect of God that he's never seen before. And people rarely see. And God goes out of his way to say in verse 19, I'll make my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you, because I'll be gracious to whom I want to be gracious and show mercy to whom I want to show mercy. There are times in your Christian walk 
Well, God will show you things about him that will change your life, absolutely revolutionize your walk with him. What was it like the first time you realized God was love? And that God wasn't sitting up on the throne with a hammer just waiting to just beat the daylights out of you every time you sin. You saw an aspect of God that just changed your interaction with him. The scripture says that love casts out fear. And, of course, where there's fear, you don't have love. If, if somebody's afraid of somebody else, there's not a whole lot of love there because where there's a good relationship, there's not a whole lot of fear. And where there's not fear, there'll be faith because somebody recognizes there's love. And I've told you before, you could put a platform up here that's about seven or eight feet tall and then put a little two- or three-year-old toddler up here on the edge, and if that child doesn't know me, I can come right over here to the edge and I can say, okay, little baby, I want you to leap right into my arms. Come on, come on. I can have a big smile on my face and I could be clapping, making all kinds of noise, and that little kid would look at me and probably even take a step away from the edge. There's no relationship. But, but then mom could come and stand right there on the edge, and mom could be smaller than me and have arms that are shorter than mine. And mom can say, okay, honey, right here into mom's arm. And that baby's eyes would light up, and the countenance would then brighten up, and I mean with a 30-inch step, there'd be a dive right into mom's arms. Now, what's the difference? I'm taller. I may even be stronger. The baby doesn't know me. So the baby's fearsome and afraid. But if the baby sees someone that he or she knows, he can conquer the fear by launching right into the arms of somebody that they know loves them tremendously. And that aspect of God, if he shows that to you, powerful. Change your whole interaction with God. I mean, it, it, it sounds... You know, it sounds simple, but there are plenty of people out here right now that say things like, well, I, I'm not going to church and I'm not going to serve God because, you know, my parents and family beat me over the head with religion when, when I was a kid. Well, do you have a Bible? Well, yeah. Well, why don't you read your Bible and get a, get a revelation of God from, from a scriptural perspective? How different was it when you learned that God was holy? And he revealed himself to you in a way that you realize he wasn't somebody walking down here on the streets of Red Cloud wearing blue jeans and eating pizza. But that he really was different than us. And that our conversation about him should be reverent. We should not take his name in vain and use it as a substitute cuss word. When you get these revelations of the aspects of God, then you can say, I know him. He's showing you an aspect of his glory. Lord, show me your glory. He'll do it. He will. He'll do it. If you're interested, he'll do it. If you're not interested, then he's not going to bother with wasting his time unless just out of his grace he wants to communicate with you one more time. But he told Moses, you can never see my face, for nobody can see my face and live. No one in the Old Testament saw his face. Jacob might be one that came close. He had a little wrestling moment with God, a place they call Peniel, you know, the face of God. But even there he wrestled with an angel. But God, because he 
has given us a covenant so much better than what Moses did. We don't have to stand in the cleft of a rock. Our God became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah. Jesus put on a physical body just like the one you and I have, one that bleeds, one that breathes, one that requires lungs. One that requires clothing, he had legs and he walked, he ate, he drank, he smiled. The scripture says he was angry, he wept, he became tired. We know that he slept. He came and lived in the midst of Israel, and people beheld the face of God every day. Nobody died. He was bringing life to them. It must have been amazing for Mary to give birth to the Son of God and every day look Look into the face of that baby and think, oh, my goodness, I am holding God. Did you parents ever think like that about your kids when they were born? I mean, you 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 look at that little baby when it's born and say, oh, my goodness, this is the most wonderful child ever to be born into this world. It's like, oh, my goodness, God, you never made a more perfect child. And then that child becomes a teenager. Can I get a do-over? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son so loved the world that he gave his life. And the Spirit of God spends all of his time helping us to have a revelation of that life that was made flesh among us so that we can see the glory of God. Yeah, to see him as he is. And this is what people need to know. Christians will let you down. Maybe I've offended you or did something in the past that caused you to be disappointed or something about God, but I can tell you this, you get your face in the book and you pray and ask God, show me your path, show me your glory, and God will show you something about himself that is different than you'll ever see in any human being. And you should never use anybody as a reason to not serve God. You serve God because of how good he is. Doesn't matter where you go, you're going to find imperfect people. But we got a perfect God. And that's the beauty of our Lord. He sets us on that rock, which is the rock of salvation. And every day is a glorious day. He calls it his blessings to pass by. Sometimes I put my head down on the pillow and I think to myself at the end of the day, Lord, how wonderful you have been. There are a lot of people around the world living in a lot of different places. <clears throat> I've been to a lot of beautiful places around the world, but I, I always love just enjoying God's creation. You know, I was telling Tip the other day about years ago a trip I took across the border from Turkey going into Greece, a little village over there, probably one of the prettiest places I've ever been, just a little small village, maybe Five or 6,000 people had a beautiful lake over there, and I can remember uh, coming out of my hotel, just going, sitting there, and, and looking out over there, thinking to myself, the Apostle Paul traveled through this area. How much of the Gospels traveled up and down this region? Then I thought, oh, this is beautiful. I, I think back when I lived in Peru, I was with some Wycliffe Bible translators. They wanted to try out some new translations on different tribes. And so they asked me to go walking with them. They drove a car up into the mountains. The car could only go so far. Then we had to get out. Then a foot trail started. Then we walked for about a mile up into the mountains. I mean, steep inclines. 
we got way up to one of these mountain plateaus. I've never been in a place like this at all, filled with Indians, Quechuan Indians. So we get up there, and I'm on this mountaintop looking, and there's a valley going down. Then there's just mountains as far as the eyes can see, and I'm up here with them in a village that has about a 1,000 people, and they want to test out all these translations. Well, they said to me, they said, well, Daryl, the next village is a couple of miles that way up in the mountains. Do you want to go with us? Well, I looked at that incline and looked at that foot trail, and I said, no, I think I'll stay right here. So I sat down. <clears throat> And I just watched, just looking, just beautiful, mountains, mountains, mountains. And, of course, after a while, when the people had left, then the little kids from the village, they came out, and they're poking, peeping around, looking, because they, in, in that village, they had never seen a black face up there. And so the little kids coming around, they're looking. I mean, they're like raccoons coming close to some peanut butter. You know, they're just, they're watching, they're easing on up. And then finally, I said, come on up. And sure enough, they did. And uh, I can't talk to them. They can't talk to me, but we can gesture. And I'm just amazed at all of this beauty, and I'm thinking to myself, these little kids are growing up in one of the prettiest places on the planet, and I wonder if they even know it. You know, poverty up there, but just absolutely beautiful. And I wondered how many of them are never going to ever get off the top of this mountain to see something else. You see, we're blessed, folks. The other day we were driving. I stopped the car. I forget what day it was, but it looked like it was going to snow. The whole sky was just white. It was right after the last snow we had. Just snow everywhere. I mean, as far as you could look, the sky was white. I said, I've got to take a picture of this. I said, normally you see a little bit of blue somewhere. It was just all white. I took a picture of that and sent that to a few friends of mine, and I said, there's no place on the earth you're going to find as beautiful as the Great Plains. I sent it to a friend in California, sent it to a friend in Brazil, and my friend in, from Brazil, he starts sending back all these beautiful pictures of the Amazon and all of that. I text him back. I said, still isn't pretty as the Great Plains. See? But, folks, we're blessed. We're blessed. We, we really are. We really are. And I, and I hope and pray that God would do in you what he wants to do in 2023. Before we prepare for communion, let's uh, kind of have a word of prayer. I want to pray for folks, but I'll, I'll ask Don if uh, if he and Garth could help us this uh, morning with communion, and, and, and we'll kind of serve. Yeah. But if, if, if your life and your heart is not where it should be on this path, then you should pray and ask God to not show you that path, but to help you repent and get on that path. You see, The only way back from any situation is always to come back. And as I pray, we'll just ask God, make our hearts ready and prepared for this time of communion, because when we share in communion, we always remember the body and the blood of our Lord. Father, we thank you, and we're grateful for the word of God and for this message, for how you've spoken to all of our hearts. And Lord, for any man or woman, boy or girl that's here today, whose heart or life is not where it needs to be, 
through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Make it right, O God. Give him the courage. Give him or her the faith to walk with you, to trust you, to abide in you, to turn from iniquity and to righteousness. These things, O God, we pray for as we prepare our hearts for communion. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, guys, you can come on down. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord.